Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hi, Rosemary. Welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. I'm excited to have you on to share your story with us. Hey, Bola. Thank you for having me. So I'd love for us to get started by you telling us who you are and what you do. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm Rosemary. I consider myself to be first generation everything. And I'm known on Instagram at First Gen Riches for sort of sharing my journey of building first generation wealth, as well as motivating others, mostly women, to do the same thing. I'm based in the Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina area of the United States. And when I'm not creating content, I'm working at a software company as an agile coach. I'm also a board member for a local financial literacy nonprofit here in the North Carolina area. And I would say I come from humble beginnings, which definitely shapes the way that I think about and manage my money. Mm -hmm. And I do love that you mentioned you're on the board of a financial literacy program. That is very, very interesting. So I guess we'll learn more as we learn more about your story. So you describe yourself as a first generation everything. You come from a low income background. And I'd love for you to give us more insight, add more color to just how you were raised with money, what your background is like or was like, and what you mean by first generation everything. Yeah, so I am the first daughter of two Nigerian immigrants, which is important to <laughs> like point out because there's a lot of responsibility being the first daughter, even if you're not the first child, right? Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I would say my parents, they didn't earn much in the United States. Um, my father, he's since passed. My mother's still living and she's working. And I would say I did not exactly experience struggle as a child. And I think maybe it's because we had community. I had cousins around me. So like my hair was always done. I didn't have to go to a hairstylist. We had food. We had clothes every school year. So it didn't really feel much of a stress. But I do remember one of my earliest memories with money was really around credit. I remember my mom was really excited for paying off one of her JCPenney credit cards. And she told me like, never carry credit card debt. Let's always make the payments on time. That's something I knew. But when it came to really starting college, being the first generation to go to college, my brother, he's older than me, but he also graduated from college as well. I handled most of the financial aid application stuff. And mm -hmm. when I saw that 
sort of the, I guess, the AGI of my family. This was a family at five because my brother was older. Then I have two younger siblings, myself, who was still under my parents' care, my mother, and then my former stepfather. They were making, it was, I forget the number now, it was less than 40, but over 30. And I remember thinking like, how did, not necessarily how did we survive, but it's just like, wow, to no one to ever really be sick or never really experiencing true struggle to just make it by is really a blessing. And I remember when I started college, I actually started at a university that gave me a full ride. However, they required me to live on campus and living on campus cost $11,000 a year, which is why I had $11,000 in student loans. So then I since transferred to a school that was 100% needs-based. So they paid for all of my cost of attendance, not just in tuition, just including like Ruben Board, wherever I chose to stay. But yes, after seeing that number, that AGI, I was really, I guess, focused on being self-sufficient. I really thought that my mm-hmm. parents' responsibility should be on the younger ones and for myself to like manage my money. Wow. So you were basically a family of six living off of that between 30 and $40,000 a year. Yes. And for those of you listening, AGI stands for average gross income. And that's one of the pieces of information you have to put on when you're filling out your financial aid paperwork. And I can definitely relate to, I know you are first generation going to college. I'm second generation. My parents are first generation going to college. And even with their educational background, being an immigrant in the United States, there were certain things they could not help me with. So my mom gave me the same advice your mom gave you, don't get into debt. But when it came to, oh, what is a 401k? Oh, what is credit? They didn't have that insight because they didn't know what it was. They had never experienced that in Nigeria. And so I, I can definitely relate to just that gap and trying to figure out those aspects on your own and you trying to navigate that whole financial aid on your own without having your parents' insight. So you graduated with $11,000 in student loans, and it could have been much more if you didn't qualify for that need-based assistance that helped cover your tuition. But you also had credit card debt, right, as part of being able to pay for your expenses going to college. So I'd love for you to share, what was your total debt? And how did you go about creating a plan to tackle and pay it all off? And how long did it take you? Right. So it's very interesting. So the bulk of my debt was definitely the student loan. So it was $11,000. And then the credit card debt that I racked up was no more than $1,500, just because that was my credit line. But it was interesting. I had that credit card maybe for five months. I paid it off every month. And then it was like May, tw- or this was more February, 2016, Beyonce announced her Formation World Tour. And I'm a huge Beyonce <laughs> fan. So I put the tickets on the card, right? I, I can't. Like, I'm not missing out on this, on this opportunity. And honestly, I don't regret it because I had the time in my life. And it could have been much worse if I had a bigger spending limit. What's interesting was that was the first time three months later that I carried over a credit card balance. And it was interesting sort of like how I went away about that. I was like, okay, Beyonce's coming up. I need a new outfit. Oh, I need to change my hair. So I, I got comfortable <laughs> with suddenly just making the minimum payments. And the next, you know, it was like, wow, my credit card utilization was at 95%. So that was 2016, 2017. I graduated from college December, 2017 and started working. I landed a job paying $64,000 a year. So 2018 was the year that the light bulb went off. Also, with graduating from college, getting my first apartment, I needed a bed. 
So, and I really wanted a, a memory foam bed, something comfortable because I've been in dorms or apartment, student apartment living for the last few years. So I put a thousand dollar memory foam bed on mattress firms credit thing that they offer, which is essentially like there's a promotional period of 0% interest as long as you pay it off between a certain time. Mm-hmm. So I racked, I put that thousand there. I had a thousand, maybe 300 on credit cards. And in 2018, that was my year of paying those two off at minimum. What's interesting is that my money journey actually started with you. I was, I think one of my coworkers was talking about something money related. And then I Googled, I was like, okay, let's see money people on social media. And I was like, okay, let's type in black women. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, Bola Sukumbi, she is Nigerian. I can relate to her. So a lot of my thought process when it came to tackling debt was, okay, there is a promotional period where this bed will come off in a year. I also transferred my credit card debt to a balance transfer card that was Mm -hmm. offered through my bank. I did not know exactly what that was. I just received an email from my bank, the one that I just bank with. And it was like, hey, transfer your balance, pay 2% and it's 0% for 18 months. So I decided to transfer that balance. So I had both 0% on both the bed and the credit card and pay that off in 2018. Throughout that, in the next two to three years, some interesting things happened. I was on a journey to pay off my car and my car was about almost 9,000, it was high $8,000 and a 6% interest rate. And I was really close to actually paying off my car until my mom needed a car. So she was going through a divorce and her credit was shot. And it was basically the options that I felt that I had was either co-sign for her to get a car, which I'm personally not comfortable with, or give her my car and get myself a new car, knowing that I will make the payments. So there was about a two to three month period when I was paying that former car note, which was $200 and my new one, which I kept around the same, which was like 178. By the time that she needed a car, that car was like 80% paid off. So that's another $8,900. And then my student loans, I paid off in 2020. Yay. Um, what I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really exciting. What was interesting was the time that my mom needed a car and the time that I got a car was late 2019. And I drained my almost six month emergency fund to get myself a car to put the down payment on and keep the payments at 170. And I felt a lot of anxiety and stress by not having a savings because I knew that I essentially I was the emergency fund for my mom. And I knew that if shit hit the fan for her or for me, who would help us? So that was an interesting period to navigate. And then, of course, 2020, the pandemic came and there was nervousness about job security, about the market, et cetera. So that was just a very weird time for me, for sure. But what I did when it came from the student loans is I essentially saved money and made a decision to pay them all off at once. So I saved. Yes. Yes. So I saved my At that time, I was eligible for the stimulus checks. The latest one, I was not eligible after I filed my taxes. I saved that, and I saved the money that I was previously putting towards the car payment. I also got my emergency fund back to three or four months, and I was just saving maybe about $1,000 to $2,000 a month to the side. And last year was about $7,000 in payments to pay it all off. So that's a Mm -hmm. bit of an overview. If you were to do all the math, that's about $22,000 in debt that I've paid off over since 2018. So about three years. So let's kind of talk about this a bit more just for the people who are listening who have like 
curiosity questions and also to help me answer the questions I have. So first of all, the things that we do for Beyonce. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I had to laugh when you said, you know, the formation tour was announced. I didn't go, but I know so many people who were in a frenzy at that time. <laughs> yeah, it was. And it's interesting, like how I navigate. I was like, I have this credit card. I know the money's not mine, but I'm mm-hmm. going to do it anyways because I, I never seen her before. And it's like, <laughs> Yeah, that was, oh my gosh, a life-changing moment. So yeah, definitely don't regret it. (laughs) So basically, you come out of college with this $11,000 of the loans that you used to pay for housing. You have this small credit card of $1,500 that you're able to pay off every month until you get to that formation point in time. And then you kind of start taking on, you have a revolving debt that goes past beyond the one month, obviously. Then- There was the balance transfer. And for those of you who are not familiar, who know what balance transfers are, it's typically when a bank or credit card company offers you a 0% promotion rate or a very low percentage promotion rate, lower than what you already have, to move over your debt to their line of credit for a specific window of time, where they give you six months, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months to pay off that balance within that 0% promotion rate. Otherwise, the interest rate jumps. One thing that's interesting about balance transfers is that most people actually do not pay off their transfer debt within that window of time. And that is what the credit card companies or personal loan companies bank on. Because once that interest rate jumps, it typically jumps to what you were paying before slightly higher. And depending on the terms, that debt can compound very, very quickly. So it's something to be very, very, very cautious of. (laughs) So you did the balance transfer and then you had the promotional mattress and then you had the car. So $22,000 of debt, but you were earning $64,000 before taxes. So it was definitely feasible for you to be able to pay off your debt within that three years. And kudos to you for doing that because there are a lot of people that even if they have the income to pay their debt, they don't. And you paid off your student loans all in one lump sum. There are tons of arguments out there of people who have student loans that just feel, why should I pay it off? The interest rate is so low. I might as well do this and that. So I really want to commend you on that. But I do want to ask you, going back to the beginning of the episode where you said that your family's average gross income was between $30,000 and $40,000, and you come out making $64,000. How did you feel knowing that your starting salary was more than the entire amount of money your parents were making to support you and your family of six? Yeah, it felt like a big responsibility. It felt like a blessing as well. And it was a bit surreal to me because I majored in economics and I minored in public policy and I loved my public policy courses. I took this one course that was like justice and policy or And it was more about like morality of things. It was speaking, there was a few studies about income mobility, about oftentimes when you come from a lower income quartile, the likelihood for you to go surpass that, the economic mobility is very, very slim. So I remember my mindset was, as long as I graduate and I make 50 to $55,000 a year, I'd be happy. Right now I make probably three times that if I do the math, which is even crazier, (laughs) but it's just, yeah, it, it was it felt very just surreal. And I would say like, even before I graduated, my hourly wage at some internships was higher than what my mom was making hourly. And it was just, it did not make sense to me. And I feel like part of my 
duty and responsibility is to give back because I feel like she's sacrificed so much. Mm-hmm. Like she's came to America. She did try the school thing to increase her income a few times, but there were just different circumstances that pushed that along. So now I do take the responsibility and I am planning on when she is in retirement age to supplement and support her in addition to the social security that she'll receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing I didn't mention when I was making that summary was that out of this, like you just mentioned that $64,000, you are supporting your family, right? So in addition to paying off that $22,000 of debt, you are supporting your mom, you're supporting your younger siblings. And I'm glad that you found Clever Girl Finance as a resource and just resources in general that helped you adjust the way you were thinking about your balance transfer and the promotional item that you had put on credit and paying off your student loan and paying off your car in full. Sometimes those mindset shifts are the catalyst that just make you be like, wow, okay, I can do this even though I'm comfortable here and I don't have to make myself uncomfortable. (laughs) I can do this and know that then I can accelerate my goals into the future. So now you are in this place where you have increased your income significantly. You've gone from earning $64,000 before taxes as your base salary to now earning $125,000. You go, girl. Yes. yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> How did you do this? How did your salary increase? Was it a new job? Was it promotions? What happened that allowed you to have this significant income increase? Yeah, so I received a promotion in every year that I've worked, except for this most recent, because I was kind of snubbed of one, so I changed companies. So okay. my first promotion period was, or promotion was 18%, so 64,000 to a little over 75, 75, 400. Then the second year was from 75 to 87.5. And then... What was interesting, I was in a conversation with someone at my former employer. This was all at my first employer. I was working in digital transformation work just to be high level. So it was very high visibility, impactful, transforming teams and the way that we work. So that sort of was a lot of the learning for me because as I mentioned, I was an econ major, but I picked up things really fast. Mm-hmm. I asked a lot of questions and I was able to essentially influence people towards this change initiative. So towards like the end of my time at that employer, I was speaking to someone casually and he said, it, and it wasn't a way to be rude, but he just casually mentioned like, you know, the company's getting more value out of you than you're getting paid. And I took that and I was like, well, I need to get on the job search. Even though I really enjoyed my team, I was very comfortable. I was in a, in a good place. I was like, I need to get on the job search. So I did. What was interesting is for what I do, it's very uncommon for someone with less than five years of experience to get the term senior added to their title. So as I was applying, I actually got a little discouraged because I wasn't hearing back from a lot of companies. I actually did get a career coach, but she pretty much helped it with negotiation. So when it comes to my latest, the 125K, that was a 43% increase. And the reason why it was that large was because I was being underpaid for the work that Mm -hmm. I was doing. Yes. Even though, and the thing it's odd because like, well, the years of experience are lower, but my capabilities and competencies were there. I was very proficient and I was excelling even in my job. So yes, I did get on the job search. I started to apply. I made sure my LinkedIn was up to date with any like public blog posts that I did about sort of related to my job. Yeah. And I applied, I had three hours of interviewing. It was very interesting. And I actually negotiated $10,000 more because I realized by taking this job, I would take 
a lower employer contributions to my retirement plan. My former mm-hmm. employer offered a 401k and a pension. I waited until after the pension vested so I can take it with me. <laughs> so I realized I'll be losing those employer contributions. So I negotiated higher to 125 in, with taking on this job. I love this. There are so many insights. First of all, congratulations on this really great income you're earning. And just so many things, right? I love that you got that nudge from whoever it was in your company that said you deserve to earn more. You're very valuable. You have the skills. And the reason why this is so important is because a lot of times, especially as women of color, Black women, our first jobs we just take the job. I did that. I just took the job. It never occurred to me to negotiate. It never occurred to me to like, I was just so excited. Oh my God, this is more money than I've ever had in my entire life. I took the job. But one thing that's really important for women in general, overall, broadly, is we need to get really comfortable with knowing our worth, asking for what we're worth and negotiating. And once you recognize that you're being underpaid, because I talk to so many women who are underpaid, they find that out after the fact, maybe they didn't negotiate, maybe they negotiated, but not hard enough. Maybe they, didn't, they thought they were getting a good deal, but they actually weren't until they realized later, getting comfortable with negotiating, getting comfortable with doing research to see what other people are getting paid out there, getting comfortable with determining what you bring to the table and just being confident in that to ask is so important. So I love that you not only went out to seek a new job, but you negotiated even though you had gotten a high percentage increase from your prior employer. And the other thing that you mentioned that was like ding, ding, ding to me was the fact that you made a strategic move in terms of you looked at what your current vesting was with your previous employer and made sure you could take as much of that money with you, right? So a lot of times employers will have maybe a five-year vesting schedule to retirement plan. And they'll tell you, well, you can only take X amount of contributions if you've been here X amount of time. And sometimes if you're in a bad situation at a job, sometimes you just have to go and just leave that money on the table. But I love that you were intentional. You looked and said, okay, what time is it going to take for me to vest so that I know I'm leaving and taking all this money with me? Right, exactly. Yeah. And it was interesting at my former company, it used to be a five-year timeline for the pension. For the 401k, you were automatically vested. 100% and but they reduced it to three years so it sort of just worked in that way for me that Mm -hmm. my three-year mark was like earlier this year and I left that company at the end of February and joined Mm -hmm. my new one in March 2021. Mm -hmm. Amazing for you Rosemary and for anyone listening I love the pursuit of earning more and getting paid what you're worth and I will tell you do not apologize for doing well because like you said you work hard you have the skill set you deliver, you are worth what you earn and even more. So I feel like there's a trend around where it's like, oh yeah, look at her. She's making all this money. And people start to make you feel bad (laughs) for doing well, (laughs) but never, ever, never, ever apologize because you are doing amazing. You recently graduated from college in the last five years, 2017. So you have such an incredible path ahead of you. I'm so excited for what you're going to accomplish. Thank you so much. So you're supporting your mom and your two younger siblings. You are planning to supplement your mom's income as she goes into retirement. How are you budgeting, right, your salary in terms of your personal goals, the things you want to accomplish, and then being able to support your mother and your siblings? Because there's a lot of people, and I was actually having a conversation around this yesterday, that are in a similar position to you, whether they're either supporting a dependent parent, supporting younger siblings, supporting children that they have, right, or breadwinners in their family. So 
I'd love for you to share, how are you balancing your goals to things you want to accomplish with being able to support your mom and then your younger siblings as well? Yeah. So even as my mom was going through difficult times over the last couple of years, like there was times where she couldn't pay the mortgage because she was behind on other bills. So I paid the mortgage. It wasn't consistent. It was more sporadically. I made sure that at minimum that my goals didn't get pushed. And my goals, I would say the ones that matter to me most, which was more of my investing goals. So I started my Roth IRA with Betterment because you said so in one of your earlier podcast episodes. <laughs> um, it's interesting. In like my first internship, I had a white coworker who was like, when you finish school, open a Roth IRA. So I had this in my mind. I was like, okay, I need to open a Roth IRA. I assumed it would have to be when I was making big girl money, like not with the money I was making in college, but I'm not going to like harp over that. So I was making sure that I'm putting $500 a month in my Roth IRA. I'm continuing to do that. I want to save my emergency fund. I'm going to continue to do that. I've increased. And as I got my promotions, I've increased my contributions to my 401k. And this will be the first year that I'm maxing it out. I made sure that I was not backing out of that. And essentially it was sort of like whatever was left, I would put aside my own wants for my family. So what that looked like was with my paying off the debt, I had goals to be debt-free by 2020 until my mom needed a car and I got myself a new car. So, but when it came to even paying off the older car, what happened was I would give money towards that and just put less money towards whatever I want to do that month. But when we think about the future, I don't consider myself a part of like the financial independence retire early movement. And the only reason is because I think it's too early for me to commit to a number. I think it will cause me stress and anxiety. There's some like unknowns that I have as to like, where do I want to live? How many kids do I want to have, et cetera. So I always joke and say I'm fire adjacent. I am investing majority of my income. I moved recently, so I need to run the numbers. I do live on less than 50. Before I moved, it was more around like 30, but it probably is still the same. I got to see. But however, so yes, I am investing. I am maxing out my 401k, my Roth IRA. I just started contributing to a mega backdoor Roth this year and I opened a brokerage. And my goal is just to invest in whatever supplemental income comes in the near future. I probably will help my mom. I do have plans for her to live with me to take care of my future children. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, it makes sense, right? So like, I don't expect to be like paying like, thousands of dollars because I do expect us to be living together at that point when she's retiring. And then when it comes to the kids, they are, my sister, she's starting early college in the fall. So this first year of high school and my brother's in eighth grade. I am opening some form of investment account for them this year. I'm debating between a 529 and the, the gift account. I just got to look into that a bit more. So yeah, those are some ways that I'm sort of planning and thinking about it. But when it comes to the actual numbers, I haven't exactly committed. Like my goal is to at least invest a certain amount and challenge myself to increase that every year, especially as I'm increasing my income. I'm nowhere near the max of my income potential and I want another promotion in the next one and a half years. So as I continue to earn more, invest more. And then as things get a bit more clear as in my life, I think, I feel like I just got out of that transitional period of like, graduating from school, settling down or starting a career, as soon as things get a bit more solidified, I'll probably commit to actual numbers. Mm -hmm. 
every time I hear you say invest, it makes me smile because investing is how you grow your money. And that's going to really help you accelerate just your overall saving and wealth building strategy, regardless of what number you, you land on. And I don't talk a lot about fire or retire early on this podcast. I'm not, I don't associate with any movement. <laughs> um, I, I think everybody yeah. has their own movement because I've been, I've seen situations where people get into all kinds of arguments about, well, what do you mean if you retire early, but you still work, you're not really fire. And then what is, yeah. what does financial independence really mean? For some people, it's being able to make $40,000 a year from their investments. Right. For some people, it's being able to have $500,000 a year, which means that if $500,000 a year is your goal, then you may not be fire, even though somebody who is at 40,000. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it gets complicated. So I'm part of my own movement. So whatever you decide on that is your financial wellness, that's what it is, regardless of what any movement is saying. <laughs> yeah, I definitely that's, agree. That's like, the way to look at it. I, you know? I think it's important to focus on the principles of, right, like get out of high interest debt, get out yes. of debt, period, invest your money, avoid lifestyle inflation and all those things. I think the principles and the values matter a lot. But when it comes to the numbers and the like, I've talked to people who have been like, borderline stress because they set like fire goals and the, the purpose is to focus on the number not the age but they get really focused on hitting it at a certain age and I'm like then what's the point like you're not like what's the point of the stress like I, I don't think it's necessary so yeah that's sort of how I feel about it yeah the focus is financial peace of mind whether you're younger whether you're older whether you want to retire at 30 whatever it is have financial peace of mind, be able to sleep at night, be able to pay your bills, be able to know you have money in the bank that's keeping you just giving you peace in your mind. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's really, really important, right? I talk to people, they love what they do. They don't see themselves retiring, maybe a more flexible mm -hmm. schedule. But so what does that mean? So anyway, I have nothing against any of the movements. I just, I find it, it can be complex. So I'm just my movement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're on your movement and that's fine. And you can decide, you know what, I want to save a million dollars. And then you can decide, you know what, I want to save 5 million. You can move your number, you can change your number, but I think you're off to an incredible start. And like you said, you haven't reached your income earning potential and that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and I'm sure your mom is so proud of you. She um, is. She definitely so. is. So what advice would you give someone who's listening, who resonates with your background, first generation, everything, first generation, something that is trying to navigate life back where you were when it was still the average gross income of 30 to $40,000, trying to figure out financial aid, getting student loans. What advice would you give someone who is in that space and just needs to feel a sense of optimism because they haven't gotten to where you are right now? Yeah, I would definitely say it's important to give yourself grace, which is, is just so important. And being the first in your family to do anything comes with a certain amount of weight. And especially when you don't have help or a gift from another family member. Also, I think it's important to set boundaries. So when my mom was in more of an emergent situation, like, it was okay to be giving and giving and giving, but you'll see sometimes with family members or even friends that once they know that you 
have attained a certain level of success, whatever that looks like, that they may ask a lot for things yes. or, not, or not necessarily a lot, but for things that aren't necessarily emergencies. So something that my therapist actually like helped me think through was setting an emergency fund for like my mom and the kids. She never knows the amount. She knows it exists. And typically that's the boundary of how much I can help with. I will say like her money management has improved since like the turmoil that she was in. And it's sort of like you have to also give her grace because she was in a situation where her hands were tied. And I was like, as I mentioned, I was happy to help. So I think boundaries is also really important because you have to balance living in the current. You have to do things for yourself, do things for your family if you see fit. And also you have to balance the future. Like I know that I still want to have a period of time where I'm probably traveling, have a period of time when I'm probably transitioning out of working in tech and working more into the nonprofit world, whether it's like public health or financial literacy, because there's things that I'm passionate about. So just don't lose yourself in your planning and your goals. Give yourself grace and don't be too hard on yourself just because like you are the first person, you are the game changer and it's going to be easier for those to follow you. That's really great advice. And Definitely what you said about setting boundaries. Obviously, you want to help your family. It is good to help. It is good to give, right? That's not even a question. But there are always people who take advantage of, they look at you from a distance and they're like, wow, look at what she's accomplished. You know what? I'm going to ask her for X, Y, and Z every chance I get, even though they have capability to go and work. (laughs) It's not an emergency. They don't need it. But there is also some family members that will make you feel like you owe them. Mm-hmm. You owe this to them. So it's really important to establish boundaries. Keep your goals in mind. Know when to say no, right? I've talked to many people who have found themselves going into debt because they're trying to help a family a member who's mm-hmm. like just doing whatever with the money and they don't even have any debt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, like your money relationship as an individual and like how that's shaped by those around you. Mm-hmm. And especially if you've gone through a change, a mindset change, and others haven't, they may not understand, like they may see like, wow, she makes 100K or six figures. So that means she has a lot of disposable income. And don't get me wrong, I do have a good amount, but a lot of it, like when I got this promotion or when I changed jobs, first thing I did, I was like, all right, how much do I need to do to max out this 401k? I don't even want to see it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be in my account because like, once it's away, there's no taking it back. And that's like the mindset that I approach it. Like there's no removing it from the account. That's not an option for me. Yeah, but for me, like, what does it even mean when somebody says, yeah, she has a lot of disposable income. She can give me some. Like, Beyonce has a lot of disposable income. (laughs) (laughs) She does give, right? She she does give. She does give, give, but I'm not going to go on her Instagram page and demand. (laughs) There are some people who do it. It is interesting, like, and, and that's why I think it's important to, like, given that if you are helping others out or if you know, like, if you want to, to put that as a line on them for your budget, like money for yes. your parent, money for whoever, so they know, like, okay, they're receiving this much or sporadically or even when it comes to, like, gifts. So something that I also did when I was, like, in college, though, so when I mentioned how I received the needs-based assistance that paid for all of my cost of attendance, I ended up having, like, maybe, like, two to 3000 leftover after tuition was paid after I paid I would pay my rent by semester and my rent included utilities so I just had to carve out like 200 for phone bill and maybe like no 200 for my car payment and 
I don't think I was paying my phone bill then. So just, I just had a $200 bill basically. And all the other money was mine <laughs> to just spend on food mostly and going out. But I would like the seasons would change. I knew it was getting cold. So I would like send my mom a package of clothes for the kids. Like I would just do online Aww. shopping and even things like that was appreciated. Right. So I feel like yeah. I've always had this like mindset of like, let me help out. And it wasn't really a, Oh, you have to do this because you make more money now. It was more of, it was always an appreciative um, yeah, tone yeah. when it came from her. You, you yeah. always know, well, if you don't know right away, you will eventually know when someone is trying to take advantage of you. And like I said, mm-hmm. it is good to give. We all should give, especially there are people in our families around us who are struggling. We want to give, we want to help. But when you identify that someone is trying to take advantage of you, be clear on your boundaries, prioritize yourself, prioritize the people who need, truly need what you're giving. And then don't be afraid to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't. That's something yeah. that we need to keep in mind, especially as women. Agreed, definitely. So Rosemary, this has been great. And before I let you go, I'd love for you to share, what is your Clever Girl superpower? Yeah, so there was a tweet that I saw a few months ago that I really internalized. And the person wrote, my confidence comes not from knowing things, but knowing I could figure anything out. And mm. I think that is my superpower. Like I, that's my approach to how I just do things when it came to investing. I was like, all right, I just got to start and I'll figure it out later, right? So I got that robo-advisor. When it came to excelling in my career, I still have a lot to go in front of me. I learned very quickly on the job and I excelled. I exceeded expectations. If you were to ask someone else, they'll probably say, oh, her superpower is planning because I am like that type A, if we go on vacation, I have that whole itinerary for you. Yeah, so I'm really good at planning and learning things and excelling is definitely superpowers of mine. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And finally, please tell us how folks can keep in touch with you, learn more about your journey and just where you are on social media. Yeah. So when it comes to money, motivation, demystifying things, I am at First Gen Riches on Instagram. If you would like to talk more about tech, I do have a Twitter that's just outside of things. And that's the Agile Coach, the with two E's. And we'll put in the show notes for you all. Also, as I mentioned, I negotiated more money on my job offer earlier that year. I do have an IGTV video walking through sort of like the benefit analysis that I did and the do's and don'ts when it comes to salary negotiation. So check that out and let's connect. Yeah, we would definitely put that in the show notes, as you mentioned. So thank you so much, Rosemary. I appreciate you sharing. I wish you a ton of success as you walk into your super bright future. And I'm just really excited for you. Thank you so much, Bola. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll talk to you on the next episode.